0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and lovely autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. This week, we're going back to one of our more recent finds. This is a show that we're obsessed with. It's so good. It's called Coroner. It really is so good. Every episode. I've only watched two episodes, but they're so good. Everyone I've watched has been amazing. So we're watching Season 1, Episode 3, titled Scattered. We'll be discussing anthropology techniques, gunshot wound findings, and we'll be getting into a crazy true crime case involving a dismembered body. So, let's get into it.
1: We open on a scene in the woods with cadaver dogs, which we've talked about before. Cadaver dogs are working dogs, and they are trained to pick up and track the scent of a deceased individual. They are also known as human remains detection dogs, and these dogs will often go out into the field in missing persons cases where a dead body is suspected. So back in the show, they find a decomposing severed arm and hand. The detective says that animals like foxes and coyotes were probably scavenging, but animals didn't dismember him. Scavengers are animals that feed on the remains of other animals or eat decomposing plants or animal matter, so they can be both herbivores and omnivores. So there are two main types of scavengers, obligate scavengers and facultative scavengers. And obligate scavengers are scavenger animals that rely almost entirely on carry-on, the meat and flesh of a dead or decaying matter, to make up their diet. So vulture species are the best and one of the few examples of obligate scavengers. And most facultative scavengers are both scavengers and predators. So they survive because they also kill other animals as well as forage for ones that have already been killed or are already just dead outside. So almost all mammals who are scavengers are considered facultative scavengers. Like lions, hyenas, foxes, raccoons, bears, wolves. I just I feel like I'm in the Wizard of Oz listing off all these animals. <laughs> <laughs> lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Oh my. They're all facultative scavengers. So in the show, Jenny Cooper picks up this severed arm. And I have to say that I was really impressed with the special effects team making this like look like a real severed arm that was decomposing, full with maggots. In like the
0: wounds, just another reason why I love this show. I was really impressed. It didn't look fake because some of the scenes that we've seen, it, you can tell that it's just a piece of foam or something. Yeah, it looked like it had the look of like a
1: slimy. I could, I could feel it. Like I felt, I've, I felt like I could. I was like, I know yeah. what that feels like. Yeah, slimy. And there were maggots in. There were like o- looked like open wounds of some kind, and they were congregating around there, which is where maggots like to actually. Concrete because they like warm wet areas so i thought i was very impressed with that props to the special effects team for real so she says it looks like it was severed at mid bone and we know sorry i'm gonna make us sound like serial killers that's not how you would want to
0: cut an arm absolutely not that is too hard jess can tell us who worked at a body donation center you're doing too much work cutting mid bone which is for those who don't know what your mid bone is on your arm it's your ulna and your radius those are the two bones in your arm. You want to cut at your elbow and you want to disarticulate your ulna radius from your humerus. It's actually very easy to disarticulate it. You're doing way less work doing that than you would cutting the ulna and your radius. Yep. I feel slightly weird that we might be giving advice for how to
1: <laughs> disarticulate bones, but just worked at a whole body donation center. We're not serial killers. I did it for science, it was for science. One of the cadaver dogs gets another hit out in the forest and Jenny says they need to get a grid going and collect soil samples. And I thought this was cool because part of our our graduate program, I know you didn't get to do it because your prog- your first year was online. No, We did dig. a dig and it wasn't a real dig. It was all fake props and stuff, but we actually had to do the grid by certain measurement squares and see what we found in what square. And it was really cool to do, even though it wasn't like a real dig but it was a really fun activity. So yeah, you can set up a grid and you got to collect soil samples from each area that you find certain evidence in and it was
0: it was really cool that's all like what clandestine graves if you ever did that that's what they would do
1: yeah the dig we did was on like a hill so like some of the the props that they had for us like shifted downhill and like we had trouble finding some of it (laughs) the teachers were like oh it's gonna be over approximately in this this big square so make your littler squares within this grid and we'd be like digging and we're like not finding anything and they're like oh we're on a hill maybe it's shifted downhill a little bit and that's where it was So they make their grid and they collect their soil samples and they gather the dismembered body parts. So they have them out on a tarp in the field and Jenny estimates that the victim is an adult 20s to 40s and he was lean and he looked like some kind of professional based on his clothing. She looked for scars, tattoos, obvious implants or injuries and she didn't find any but this is a green flag because in any John or Jane Doe case we look for all of these things because they can be really important in helping identify a victim. So the detective asks about fingerprints, and Jenny says that they'll soak them, and they'll try to get the prints then, which is immediately another green flag, because this is something that is done, and it's something we've had to do before. Mm -hmm. If a body is decomposed long enough, it will eventually become desiccated, which we've talked about, just means, like, dried out. And when this happens in the hands, it's almost
0: impossible to get a good print off of the fingertips. Yeah, because everything's just dried and hard, and there's no, like, manipulating anything. It
1: kind of reminds me, it kind of looks like, you know, when your fingers get pruny if you're in the water for a while but not but not like moist it's just like really hard and dry but like that kind of same like wriggly pattern but even like even worse it's like thinner because it's almost down to the bone it's like a raisin
0: but like a hard raisin
1: yeah that's exactly I don't know why I just didn't say raisin it's like yeah it's like a hard (laughs) raisin trying to get trying to roll a fingerprint off of a hard raisin you're not gonna get anything So the fingertips can be soaked in a solution to rehydrate them and get the prints and the detectives then ask about DNA and the tech says that they could try, but they'll need something to match it to, which I think is another green flag because in a lot of these shows, they don't show that part of the DNA process. You just see them getting a DNA sample and putting it into their magical computer system and then bam. There's, It's like a picture of a person. It's just like, this is him. But realistically, a person's DNA has to be in whatever system that they are running the DNA that they get at the scene in to get a match. So if the person isn't originally in the system, whatever DNA you try to run in it won't just magically come up with a name. So in the morgue in the show, we see them soaking the bones, which is another green flag, and examining the bones without the soft tissue. So maceration is a bone preparation technique. It is the process of removing soft tissue from bones so as to be able to study the skeletal remains. And I just want to give a shout out because maceration is a word that I learned from the crime scene queens. We love them. Laura did anthropology and uh, in her graduate studies, mm-hmm. and she used to have to macerate skeletal remains. And she had some fun stories about that. So we love the crime scene queens. And that's how I learned the word maceration.
0: It's a very cool process. I've only only done it once.
1: Yeah, I've never done it. So soaking the bones in water will soften the tissue and allow you to scrape it off. You have to be careful scraping it off so you don't leave any kind of defect on the bone. But yeah, so soaking the bones in water will help remove it. There are also a lot of microorganisms in the water which will eat away at the tissue, so you end up with very clean bones. This method is especially good at getting rid of tissue in tiny crevices in the skulls. So this may be done as part of a forensic investigation as a recovered body is too badly decomposed for a meaningful autopsy, but with enough flesh or skin remaining to obscure macroscopically visible evidence such as cut marks. So maceration is a form of controlled putrefaction, a stage of decomposition in which the proteins in the body's cells are broken down and consumed by bacteria in in anaerobic conditions. In the show, they find a close-range gunshot wound entrance in the back of the skull and an exit out of the front of the skull, like through the forehead. Green flag, because then they talk about beveling. So they notice, one of the tech notices, the defects in the forehead is externally beveled, which is how they know it's the exit wound. So beveling happens in gunshot wounds. For an entrance wound, it is when the outermost layer of the bone will have a smaller defect than the inner layers. That is called internal beveling. In an exit wound involving the skull, the pattern is reversed, and this is an external bevel. Jenny asks if there is a butcher nearby, and she says that they'll need lots of bone from there to compare to their victim to see what might have been used to cut up these bones, this body. Then someone walks in with a photo approximation of their victim, which they got off of the DNA, which I unfortunately think is our first red flag. We were on such a good streak. We've talked about this before, but photo approximation is a really cool way to use science and tech in forensics and is something that we have seen done, but I have never seen it done this fast. Maybe they got it done quickly because they have more access to facilities that do this. Or maybe it's because it's a high profile case. Or maybe it's because it's a 40 minute TV show and they need to solve this case really quickly.
0: I'm going to go with that one. That's probably
1: it. (laughs) I'm going to go with that one. But whenever we've had to do this, it doesn't. It's not that quick. So Jenny brings the photo to the detectives and one of the detectives recognizes him. She says that his wife had reported him missing about a month ago. The wife said that he was kidnapped and they investigated it but came up with nothing. The wife was pregnant at the time, and the husband was a computer professor at a nearby university. He was supposed to be returning to Nigeria, where he was from, at the end of the summer, but the wife couldn't fly because she was pregnant. The wife and the baby came into the office, and Jenny collects a buccal DNA swab from the baby to test against the DNA that they have from their victim to see if it's a paternal match. The wife demands to see her husband, Gideon jenny obviously says they can't allow that because of the state that he's in and the wife still asks and says that she'd be able to recognize him and jenny says unfortunately not in the state that he's in we can't allow that the wife says that her husband was a hero who used computers to better connect marginalized communities in africa and not everybody was a fan of his mission and he received many threats he was then invited to canada which is where they are on the show to come and teach students how to replicate his technology In the next scene, we see Jenny pulling up to the university to meet the detective to attend one of Gideon's former classes. And I just want to give this scene a green flag because the detective here, Jenny shows up and he's like, you didn't have to come. And he's like, you're trying to do my gig. And I love that because this is, I think, the first time I've seen a show actually address that the M.E., usually doesn't go to like investigate or interrogate people or go to scenes sometimes they go to scenes but like to go like interrogate interrogate witnesses and he's like you don't need to be here No,
0: oh, yeah like they don't need to be here i feel like most of the time the shows are like i want you here like please come along yeah and this time he was like she's like rushing to get there she's running late and he's
1: like you don't have to rush you don't even need to be here <laughs> you don't need to this be is here. My, why you're this is my job why are you here this and, is a waste of your time and literally and i was like that's so funny because nobody ever addresses that in this show however she is a coroner. she they do call her a coroner so she's a coroner and like the forensic pathologist so maybe she does go to scenes but uh, or like interrogate people but I don't know. Maybe it's different in Canada. Maybe. I don't know how Canadian jurisdiction works. (laughs) If we have any listeners in Canada who are a fan of the show, let us know. Please let me know. Hi, Canada. So Jenny says that she's there for Gideon's wife because the lab called last night. and confirmed that the DNA from the child's swab was a match to her husband's, the victim's DNA. And Jenny was on the phone with her for over an hour while the wife was crying. They question the students in the class, who all have mostly positive things to say about Gideon and his wife. They even had the students over for dinner one time. And one of the students mentioned that Gideon had been threatened before by a warlord, but then he says, he's like, but that was in Africa, not here. One of the students says that he saw him the night that he died, but he had left for the night and that Gideon had stayed late. They question another professor who says that she feels guilty for all of this because she was the reason that Gideon was there. She had convinced the department to pay for Gideon and his wife to come there. This professor also says the police tried to convince Gideon's wife that he was a thief. There was a robbery of some obsolete computer equipment from a storage room that the police had tried to blame him for.
0: So after they leave the university, Jenny says that they're going through old pathology reports because they're looking for someone who shot and dismembered a victim, which doesn't happen often, so she's seeing if there are any similar cases in the past reports. She finds a report of William Weber, who hoarded obsolete computer equipment and whose death was ruled an accident after falling from his balcony after slipping on water and landing on a planter. So Jenny isn't buying that and shows the photos to the tech who sees that the wounds on William aren't lacerations, they are chop marks. He says that they have clean, defined edges, which a laceration would not have. So another green flag, because lacerations, there would be a break in the skin from a blunt object and the wound would have what's called tissue bridging. Um, it's cool it actually looks like a little bridge and literally what it sounds like it's little strips of skin connecting the two sides of the wound yeah there's i like have no other way to try and explain it i'm doing like a motion with google me. it and it's just like the motion of your fingers coming together yes like in your hands like that's, fingers interlaced almost that's yeah. it
1: it's like it's not a clean cut it's not a cut it's a tear so it's like tearing. the skin is tearing away and some of it's still connected
0: google at your own risk it's don't if you're if you're squeamish there's probably a very nice scientific picture of it (laughs) (laughs) they think whatever was used to chop into and kill william weber was the same weapon used to dismember gideon however computers and bad cuts aren't the only thing connecting the two cases weber died the same night that gideon went missing jenny brings william weber's computer to digital forensics William had a home business doing virus removal and data conversion, and Lucy, the digital forensic expert, says she'll need a week to be able to find anything useful to the investigation on the computer. Jenny says she needs it by six tonight. I just love that. She's like, great, I'll be back at six. The poor forensics person is <laughs> <just> like, okay. <laughs> but I told you not that. I
1: told you Really impossible, but I'll try <laughs> because this is a forty-minute TV show.
0: <laughs> they at least address <laughs> their own in the fact they address that it should be a week, so they're able to get a list of anyone William Weber did business with within the last six months, and they also find something titled "The God Abyss" by Dylan Lee off of an old floppy disk and Dylan Lee had asked William to get the data off of the disk, but he wasn't able to, however, Lucy was. The story was written 10 years ago, and Dylan was supposed to meet with William the night that he died. They go to Dylan Lee's home to question him. He doesn't remember William right away, but when they mention the God Abyss, he gets really excited that they found his book because that's the only copy he has, and he says that he'd sent it to William to get the data off, but never heard back from him. Dylan's parents died a year ago and he says it's just him and his girlfriend Amanda and the very, very nice house they're in now. It was his parents, and his parents had like a honey business. The detective gets a tour of the house from Dylan, while Jenny goes to talk to Amanda.
1: I also, sorry, I
0: recognized. I know we talk about. Stop! How I, I just, was going to tell you the same thing, Amanda.
1: Yeah, from Fear Street. Yes, yes, I love Fear Street. I, I was so excited her. to
0: see her. I recognized her immediately, and I was like, I have to tell you this live. <laughs> I was so excited. Oh, I love how we had the same thought.
1: Kiana Madeira is her name. And I ran out as soon as she came on screen I showed Costa.
0: I was like, look! She's also in the show Trinkets on Netflix, if you've ever watched that.
1: Ooh, I haven't watched that. I'll
0: have to check her out. I love her. I was so excited to see her. She's
1: so good. Anyway, anyway. I love when we had the same sidetrack thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the detective asks Dylan about his basement, and Dylan says it's locked because it's rented out, but the tenant isn't home. Dylan won't let them in because he says he needs to give. His tenant, 48 hours notice, so the detective says they'll come back with a warrant, and Dylan welcomes them too, and says he'd like to know what's going on in his own basement. After the detective and Jenny leave, Amanda asks why Dylan lied and says that they don't have a tenant. Dylan says that he was nervous because it was just him and Amanda When they got there, and then Amanda says, and Storm in the basement. I thought Storm was like a cat. Uh, Right, I thought it was a pet. But this man, he unlocks the door, and this man, one of Gideon's former students, walks out.
1: He's the one who was like, yeah, he got threatened by a warlord, but in Africa.
0: Right, because warlords can't travel. It's the same
1: guy. I know. And then he said, instead of like saying... An actual country in Africa. He was like, yeah, you know, in
0: Africa. Oh, no, the entirety the, of the Africa. The detective's
1: like, Africa's like a huge continent. You know that, right? It's not <laughs> like a country. <laughs> You're talking about it like it's a country.
0: So Storm asked what the detective and Jenny wanted, and Dylan tells him that they were asking about, quote, some dead computer guy, and that it has nothing to do with us.
1: He was like, yes, it has nothing to do with us. Now let's go convene in the basement. So
0: yeah, the two of them walk down and Amanda's just up there and like, okay. Yeah. She's like, that was weird. So they go into the basement and they leave Amanda upstairs. The next day, Amanda sees Storm and Dylan carrying what looks like a heavy duffel bag to the car together, and they drive off. I would love if it's not
1: a heavy duffel bag, and they're really close, and they carry their duffel bags together. They're like Andy <laughs> and Ollie and
0: Bob's Burgers, and they have to do everything together. They need to do everything together because everything is a two-man job. As me and Jess. <laughs> right, right, Alice. Yeah. Everything's a two-man job. Yeah, because we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be alone in the back. I don't want to be it's scary. It can
1: be scary. The lights are motion, and we're tiny people, and sometimes it doesn't see us, and it stays dark <laughs> in the morgue. And we don't know how to turn the new lights on.
0: (laughs) So back in the show, while the boys are gone, Amanda goes to investigate the basement. And then we cut to the morgue scene where they're testing different instruments on bones to compare to Gideon's bone cut marks. This looked so fun. They were just like smashing animal bones. I want to do it. I'm not hoping for a case like this. But if it comes across my... My journey in forensics, I would be so down to do something like this.
1: They just had, like, safety. They had PPE. They had safety equipment on. And they were, like, using a sledgehammer, just, like, smashing bones and just using different things, taking notes. I was like, this looks so fun.
0: But, like, that's legit how it would be. You have to. These were
1: all animal bones, by the way, that they got from the butcher. They weren't just, like, taking
0: random human bones. You have to, like, go through all of the different, like, instruments and tools to figure out Okay, this makes this kind of impression, but this makes that kind of mark. Yeah, it looked fun. (laughs) It did look very fun. (laughs) The mark that they're looking for, they say it looks similar to a hatchet, but narrower. There is also a missing piece of bone. Cervical spine, which is the neck, is supposed to have seven vertebrae. However, they only have six. So they're guessing that one was lost in the dismemberment. While they're talking, they get a call about a threat to the building. Security said, don't leave or go anywhere. They run to the front of the building and find Amanda as security in hysteria. I love it. They're like, don't go anywhere. And then Jenny's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Don't <laughs> I tell have to go." What to do. So Amanda is holding a gun, a gun that she found in the basement, but it isn't Dylan's. And she says that it's Storm's. She says Storm is a weirdo. And he thinks... He's Dylan's friend, but she and Dylan both hate him. She confesses that Dylan covered for him last night when they were there and they wanted to see what was in the basement. They call the detective to get the warrants to investigate the basement, and Jenny brings Amanda into her office. She explains that guns have serial numbers that will trace back to the owners. Most individual manufacturers put serial numbers on weapons they produce, and such numbers can be used to ascertain the name of the manufacturer, place, and date of manufacture. The detectives come in and say that the gun is the same caliber that killed Gideon. For those who don't know, caliber is the diameter of the bullet or projectile, and it's also the diameter of the gun barrel. So the diameter of the bore of the gun is usually expressed in hundreds or thousands of an inch and typically written in a decimal fraction. So for example, a, a 357, a 380 auto, and a 9mm ammunition, they're all the same caliber. They just have different names for marketing purposes or because of the place that the cartridge was developed. So they got the warrants for Dylan's place and his parents' place, and they got Amanda a hotel to stay in for the night so she would be safe. The police go to Dylan's. The detective and Jenny go into the basement and find a saw, but the wounds had looked like they were made with a chopping tool. The detective says they'll luminol the floor to see what they can get. So luminol is a chemical that produces a blue fluorescence when oxidized by hydrogen peroxide. In addition to providing one of the best known examples of chemiluminescence, It is a very valuable crime scene investigation tool. It shows like a blue glow, and that reveals the presence of any blood.
1: I just got nostalgic because we talked about luminol in our very
0: first episode. Aw, we did. We watched CSI. They were in the trash can, and they were spraying luminol. They were in
1: the trash can, and they were spraying luminol. And I was like, we were like, oh, it's for oxidizing agents, so it doesn't always have to be blood. And I'm like, oh, look at us now.
0: Guys, look at us now. You're right. It does not always have to be blood. That, yeah. is, that is very correct. You can
1: still see blood and other. Uh, so you can even see if it was yeah. like cleaned recently. Sometime, depending
0: on what cleaning agent was used. Yes, you can see if they use like bleach or whatever to clean. So the detective opens a freezer and they see blood and a fingernail. So it looks like someone was locked in there and that they were alive at one point. Worst way to die. <laughs> worst way being buried and being locked in a freezer locked in a
1: freezer or what did we say that one episode being down in the ocean with a giant squid with beak teeth this one is scary too
0: (laughs) so back in the office they're trying to find amanda a hotel to stay in but she gets a phone call and silences it but says that she needs to use the restroom she calls dylan and tells him to stop calling her He says there's cops at the house and that he was scared something happened to her. He's so fake. I hate him. He's so fake. Don't trust Dylan. You liar. (laughs) Everybody, don't trust Dylan. (laughs) She asks whose gun was in the basement and Dylan says it's good the cops know about it because it was storms. Dylan tells her to come meet him and that he needs her. We then cut to the detective and Jenny going to another property that Dylan's parents owned the apiary where the bees were kept i forgot
1: what an apiary was because they kept saying they're like we got a permit for the parents house and the parents apiary and i'm like what the hell is an apiary i know i was like i've never heard of this
0: word in my life i've
1: heard i like heard it before and i just couldn't remember what it was and then i was like oh and then they show up and it's all the bees i was like that's right it's where they kept their bees because you don't just like keep all the bees at your house (laughs) the little bee houses (laughs) the little bee houses houses. and all the bees were like sad or dead someone was taking care of them you know i was taking care of them and i felt really it was really depressing
0: save the bees everybody so they had a warrant for there they call out to see if anyone's there and no one responds they break open a locked door and go inside the building to find gideon's car they theorize that he was sitting in the passenger side and whoever killed him sat behind him because he was shot from behind and they can see a bullet defect through the windshield they continue investigating and find a tool that could have been used to dismember him
1: what was that i couldn't like it looked like a something it used to like chop uh, like ice out of the ground what was it but not no it wasn't an ice pick no it wasn't like an ice pick i'm i'm picturing something very specific i feel like <laughs> this is so lame i feel like i saw it in frozen you know in the beginning of frozen when they're like breaking up the yes. ice and they have like yeah they have those was tools like that was oh oh my god i'm so dumb you know what it probably was it was probably what they used to like scrape honey or something <gasps> off of these. Yeah. Like Because I was wondering, I was like, why do they have like an ice pick? Or it could have been an ice type thing because they also live in Canada. And so I don't know. But I, I, I didn't quite get a good look at what it was. It looked like a sharp, narrow hatchet-like mm-hmm. type
0: object. This must be where he dismembered him. Jenny finds more blood and the missing piece of cervical bone from Gideon and a green flag for Jenny because she wears a glove before picking up this piece of bone. The detective is going to put a bolo, so it's... Bolo means be on the lookout for Dylan Lee and Storm. Jenny says she'll ask Amanda for his real name, but Amanda's not answering her phone. She's nowhere to be seen at the office. We see Amanda arriving in a car to meet Dylan in the parking lot. They embrace, but when they approach the car, Storm is in the passenger seat. And then we get hit with a to-be-continued, which is an inside the morgue first because we're usually coming in... In a bunch of drama, but now we're starting at the beginning. Yeah, and we're usually coming after the to be continued, and we
1: have to catch up on what happened last episode. Now we need to watch the next episode.
0: I don't think we've ever had an episode where we like had a before the drama. I know. We
1: usually come in the middle of it, and we're like, I don't know. There's some serial killer around. <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's not
0: our MO anymore. I
1: know. Thank goodness we didn't watch season one, episode four first. We would have been like, I don't know. There's some dismemberment <laughs> happened, apparently.
0: Someone got dismembered last know. episode that we know nothing about. Speaking of,
1: um, I Googled it. I Googled ice breaker tool, and I'm looking at the Ace Hardware website at a Garant Nordic 7-inch wide, 54-inch long steel sidewalk scraper, and that's what that tool looked like to me it also kind of
0: reminds me of like the tool that they use to scrape like plaster on a wall yeah
1: that's what yeah it looked like that i'm guessing it probably isn't a sidewalk scraper it's probably more like what you're talking about and also um what they probably use to scrape the honey out of like the honeycombs mm-hmm. that would make sense to have an apiary because i was just, <laughs> just immediately thought of ice for some reason i <laughs> <We> love disney <laughs> i just watched too much frozen huge fan <laughs> Today's true crime is an absolutely crazy one that comes from Oklahoma. So this is the case of Brandon Duran, who was murdered by Justin Hammer and Amber Andrews. Justin Hammer, 31, was accused of fatally shooting 32-year-old Brandon Duran, his girlfriend's ex-husband, on August 7, 2012, and then cutting up his body and stuffing it into cement-filled buckets. Hammer originally pleaded not guilty to the first-degree murder charge and faced possible penalties of death or life in prison with or without the possibility of parole if convicted. They turned to the office of the chief medical examiner to determine whether the victim may have been conscious or experienced physical pain after he was shot. In order to seek the death penalty, prosecutors must have evidence that the victim suffered and his death was especially heinous, atrocious, or cruel. Hammer claimed he shot Duran in self-defense after Duran kicked open the back door of his home. In a video recorded statement, Hammer claimed he shot Duran right through the eye before dragging the body into the bathroom, severing the arms, legs, and head with a saw, and placing the body parts into buckets. When Hammer asked why he dismembered Duran's body, he said, quote, he freaked out. The buckets containing Duran's parts were recovered on August 10, 2012 in a pond on Hammer's property in rural Elmore City, 65 miles south of Oklahoma City. Ackers said an autopsy revealed that in addition to the shotgun wound, Duran had three small caliber gunshot wounds in the left side of his head. Friends of Hammer testified at a preliminary hearing that they overheard his girlfriend tell Hammer that Duran beat and abused her when they were married. They said she also was upset about a custody battle over the couple's young child. Hammer's girlfriend did not testify during the hearing. Van Emblem, a friend of Hammer's, informed authorities that after the killing, Hammer asked for his assistance in getting rid of the bloody buckets. Emblem testified that he helped Hammer place the buckets in Hammer's pickup truck, but walked away when Hammer said he might need help disposing of them. The friend said he called the OSBI the next day and reported what he saw. This unexpected tip helped investigators find the dismembered body parts that were dumped in the pond using the cement-filled paint buckets. In April 2017, a five-year investigation into Brandon Duran's murder came to a close when his ex-wife Amber Andrews became the second person convicted in his August 2012 murder and dismemberment case. Her accomplice, boyfriend Justin Hammer, was convicted of the first-degree murder charge in the case in July 2014. Investigators also discovered incriminating evidence at Hammer's house. Justin Hammer is currently serving time at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary in McAllister, Oklahoma, while Amber Andrews remains incarcerated at the Mabel Bassett Correctional Center in McLeod, Oklahoma. Snapped on oxygen visited Brandon Duran's murder case in an episode titled Amber Andrews. The synopsis reads, a loving father agrees to give his ex-wife a chance to reconcile. When his loved ones can't reach him, an unexpected tip is brought to Oklahoma police that uncovers the toxic love triangle and horrific crime scene. Justin Hammer went on trial in 2014 after confessing to murdering Duran. Hammer said that he was acting in self-defense, as we said, and described Duran as a dangerous motorcycle gang member who had threatened him. Hammer was also accused of lying to the police by the prosecution after he claimed he acted alone and in self-defense when Duran just barged into his house. They claimed that he had received assistance from another person while committing the murder. In July 2014, Hammer was convicted of the first-degree murder and given the life sentence without the possibility of parole. Amber Andrews' trial took place in 2017 when it was alleged that she enticed Duran to Oklahoma under the pretense of reconciliation, only to drive him to his death at hammer's house despite the fact that there was initially little physical evidence linking her to the scene of the crime or that she participated in the shooting or dismemberment it was alleged that at the time of the murder duran was residing in san diego california and had full custody of their son andrews allegedly wanted custody of their son Telephone records and eyewitness accounts pinpointed Andrew's whereabouts on the day of the murder, suggesting that she had a window of opportunity to participate in the crime and had first-hand knowledge of it, meeting the state's law definition of murder. Additionally, Hammer was caught on camera purchasing incriminating items from a hardware store the day prior to the murder. Andrews, along with her accomplice Hammer, were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the shooting murder of her ex-husband, Brandon Duran, in August 2012. She also received two additional terms, totaling 17 years for two extra charges of her first degree murder conviction, desecration of a corpse and conspiracy.
0: That is a crazy case. Crazy supposed love triangle that turned horrible. I, yeah, it's it's absolutely
1: tragic. I don't even have words for it. That's just... I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't even like fathom the idea of being able to do that to another human. And we've we've definitely talked about this before on the podcast, and it's I feel like it's one of the reasons why there's so many people fascinated in true crime, and why people obsess over serial killers is because we can't understand it. So we feel like the more we read about it, the more like we do. We just like Yeah, yeah,
0: the more we listen to things like it,
1: always fascinating because we can't. Not fascinating. I shouldn't say that. That's horrible. It's just we can't wrap our minds around it. And everybody just wants to, everybody wants to know why. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm I'm fascinated with forensic psychology. Our brains don't work like that. Whose brain does where it's, you're just able to do this to someone? It's It's horrible.
0: That's one of the questions that I hate getting. Like when we have homicide cases or... Like, we had a dismemberment case that we worked on. Those are, like, big cases So people who know us, like, ask, like, oh, why'd they do it? And, like, I don't know. Like, I I can't. I don't want to know why. I just, I do my job, and I compartmentalize, and I I can't think about that. Yeah. It's also, it's
1: interesting being on, the like, this side of it now. Because I definitely used to be the person, and I I feel bad that I used to do this now, because... Now, I see the other side of it is I used to be the person that would be like, Oh my God, I want to know all the details. Tell me everything about that case. And now I'm on the other side of it. And there's a lot of trauma associated with working those kinds of cases. Like a lot, like you said, we compartmentalize and we do our job very well, but sometimes it hits us later. And when people hear that we worked horrible, cases, then then their first reaction is like, oh my god, I love this. Tell
0: me everything. They're like, that's the coolest thing ever. Tell me every detail.
1: And I almost get a little upset and I try to be patient because I'm like, I used to be this person too. I just didn't understand what it was like to see this in real life. And I'm like, you're asking me to unload a lot of trauma on you right
0: now. I don't think I should.
1: <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> Sorry
0: person, but I don't feel like trauma dumping on you.
1: I, I know you think <laughs> you want to know. And maybe, maybe you should work in forensics and find out if you really enjoy it because like but i don't know it's hard to explain i'm sure other people who work in forensics understand but when people are asking for quote cool work stories you're
0: also asking about a lot of like mental health stuff that we go through yeah and like our cool stuff are probably not the same as the cool stuff that you're thinking of
1: and i do it is fascinating working certain cases like that but it's it does hit you it takes a psychological toll and it takes a mental toll and we need mental health
0: breaks sometimes. And we've, we're, we're always talking about mental health, you know us, but yeah. I think in like, in the beginning when we hear like, oh, we have like this type of case coming in, we're like, wow, that's a really cool one. Cool. I get to work something like that. And then you do it and then it sits with you for a while and you're like, wow, I just did that.
1: It's the adrenaline rush that like, it's mm-hmm. the adrenaline of like, okay, this is a big one. This is a crazy case. This is something we've never seen before. Like, what are we going to do? What's the protocol? You get wound up in almost all the excitement of it. You get Yeah, you get so wound up that you don't have time to process. Right. I think that's what it is. And then like, at least this is how it is for me sometimes with harder cases is like, I come home and I think I'm okay and then I'll be in the middle of doing something and I'll just like it'll suddenly hit me like a wave of just like emotions and I'm like I just worked that case I saw that thing I saw these horrible things and sometimes I don't react and sometimes I feel like I feel bad for not reacting I was like should I be more upset am I crazy I get that a lot and it's it's a lot it's a lot guys (laughs) we do love our jobs though we love our job Yes, yeah,
0: don't get me wrong I love my job so much and
1: clearly I love talking about my job because we have a whole podcast it's just, <laughs> <laughs> just us it. talking about our job so <laughs> don't I don't want to discourage people from asking questions about cool cases just maybe read the room for talking about a terrible case or like you hear about a terrible case and you're going to ask someone who works in forensics if you want to know quote all the details maybe just be like are you okay <laughs> like are you are you doing all right yeah ask like ask us if we're okay talking about it and if we say yes then yeah yeah i think people in my life are getting are getting that more because i've been very honest with them if they're like oh my god tell me everything i'm like i gotta be honest with you i don't want to because i'm having trouble processing this myself i don't Mm -hmm. think i'm ready to talk about things that
0: i see no is a complete sentence
1: no is a complete sentence or the, people are always like, what's the craziest thing you've seen? It's like, I don't know. What do you consider crazy?
0: <laughs> That's what we get all the time, too.
1: Yeah. But then I feel bad for being judgy because, I mean, I have only been working in this field like a year and a half. A year a year and eight months ago, that was me. I was like, oh, my God, I want to know everything about it. I was just excited. So a lot of the time, it it doesn't come from a bad place when people ask. Yeah. So like, I know that and I try to be patient with it. I try to explain to them, like, hey. I don't want to talk about this right
0: now. <laughs> That's okay, because not everybody in our life needs to know every detail about us. Yeah, and I still usually don't say all the details of everything that we see. I try to hold back for certain people. Yeah. To end this episode, we tallied a total of eight green flags and one red flag. So, in our opinion, this episode of *Coroner* does pass in terms of forensic accuracy, which is why it's one of our favorites.
1: It's really up there for me now. I was so the first like ten minutes had so many green flags. <laughs> I was
0: so excited. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. If you enjoy our podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram at Pod and DM us with any episode suggestions you may have. We'll be back next week with a brand new dissection. Bye. Bye!